When you sing, what I have a friend in Jesus, or what a friend I have found, where does that come from in your heart and in your life? Is that a confession that is really true about you? Would you use this language to describe your relationship with God? Because in the passage we're about to read, the Apostle Paul exalts the Savior with all the superlatives that he can find. He is truly a Jesus person. He believes that Jesus is the center of all things, that he created all things and all things were created for him and by him, as the scripture says for our VBS this week. And as we jump into this passage in the first chapter of this book, I read through there and I read this prayer and I thought, David, does this reflect your heart? Is this who you are and how you are about Jesus the Savior? Because people, church is a good thing, and it's a good thing to study ethics and morality. It's a good thing to improve your life in practical ways. But everything that we do in this room is about Jesus as the exalted King of kings and Lord of lords. And the one from whom all things come and to whom all things come. And we are the church of Jesus Christ. And it is our purpose, our solitary, single, and passionate purpose to exalt the Savior in the earth. And Paul describes him here as the one who fills everything in every way. And the church is his body. So it is our express purpose to manifest the wisdom and power of God as His church through exalting the Savior. So the job we have, your job as part of the family of faith, as a Jesus person, your job is to, with every word, every deed, all your attitudes and thoughts, exalt the Savior to bring Him glory. All other things are secondary to this one purpose which we embrace in the world as people who believe that Jesus is the incarnation of God, the one sent to save us. So when you sing, what a friend I have in Jesus, it comes out of your walk, all right? (laughs) It's who you are. Now, I'm grateful that Taylor set us up for the message today. We're starting in verse 15. Taylor, thank you for a great job uh, these two weeks expounding upon these verses in Ephesians chapter 1. And we have just come off this wonderful explanation of the Apostle Paul about how we are chosen in Christ. So he's giving us his mindset. He's helping us understand who we really are. We are chosen. We have been predestined in Him. We are chosen for the praise of His glory. We are given the Holy Spirit so that we might exalt Him in the earth. And all these blessings are ours. And so he comes to verse 15 here to describe even further what God is doing. And he starts with, for this reason, because of all these good things, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus... And your love for all God's people. I have not stopped giving thanks for you. Remembering you in my prayers. I 
keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in His holy people, and His incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength He exerted when He raised Christ from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under His feet and appointed Him to be head over everything for the church. That would include VBS and CAC, right? He is head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Are there any more adjectives to use that more clearly exalt the Savior? He is wondrous. He is beautiful. He is glorious to the apostle. You can only get into this text if that is true in you. If Christ resides in you as the hope of glory and your life is lived out to serve him, that is your full purpose in this life, then this text makes sense to you. And there are several things in the text that I just want us to kind of trace as we think about manifesting the fullness of Christ through our own lives and in his church. Okay, so that's the idea here. Lord, how do we? How do we successfully be your body? The body of which you are the head, that is the authority. The one who gives direction to all the different parts. How can we manifest your fullness in the world? And the first thing I would say as I look at this verse 15 is that you would let information prompt you to give thanks. All right? Let information prompt you to give thanks. It's kind of generic, right? But he actually starts verse 15 by saying, for this reason, ever since I heard about. So somebody came and told him about their faith, or maybe they wrote him a letter. And Paul received information about these believers in the church in Ephesus. And ever since he received that information, He has not stopped giving thanks. Now, Paul doesn't get information like you get information. He got information word of mouth and by letter. Apart from that, very little, okay? Information about other parts of the empire, information about the other churches and other places. He only got that by word of mouth and by letter. He didn't have a cell phone. He didn't have a computer. He didn't have an iPad. He didn't have a television. Can you imagine? It's a different life, isn't it? But when he got information about the world in which he lived, he was prompted to give thanks. 
Well, you're on information overload. You get information every day. You get all kind of information. You have alerts on your phone that let you know when somebody dies in Kenya or India of an accident, and they send that information to you directly. And most of the news that you get is bad news. It's just true. It's true the tragic is more newsworthy than the happy. And it's been that way for generations. When I was a reporter, when I style about what I did as a reporter, I covered murders, fires, accidents, plane crashes. That's what I covered. When I went in and they said, hey, well, we need you to go somewhere, it was usually because somebody was lying in the street dead. And when you get those alerts, you think, this is the news in the world. We didn't really cover. I didn't go to a lot of happy events as a reporter. Mostly they were tragic. Mostly the news was bad. And that's just how it is in the world. And so you may suppose as you get your alerts and you have your notifications that the world is truly a great big mess and it's never been such a mess as it is now. It might surprise you to know that deaths by violence in the human family, as a percentage of the deaths in the human family, has for the last 15 years been at 1% of all deaths. They're either homicide or by war in the entire planet. That's as low as it's ever been for the human species. It was up to 15 deaths per 100,000 at the beginning of uh, 1900. And it's been way higher than that for the history of the species. But you never would pick that up, would you? We seem to think the death, mayhem, and murder, and war typifies life on the planet. And yet, there's lots of other news. Here's what's happening to us with our information. Our information is making us sad, cynical and hopeless. We are getting so much bad news, we are overloaded with it. And some of our elderly people are suffering more than anybody else from the bad news that they are perpetually receiving with all these funnels of information that come our way. And we need to change this. As the people of God, we should not be typified by cynicism, despair, and hopelessness. Amen? I mean, that wouldn't be Jesus, would it? The Apostle Paul lived in difficult circumstances. His personal circumstances might actually have been more difficult than yours. Though you may have difficult circumstances. But when the Apostle writes this letter, I mean, he's waiting for his death penalty. There's a good chance he's going to be executed. He's never going to get released out of prison. They're going to behead him, and he'll have that kind of good death because he's a citizen of Rome. They're not going to hang him up on a cross for three days, but that's what he's looking forward to. In all probability, great possibility, he's going to die. His circumstances are difficult. He is jailed in Rome, but he does not reflect citizen cynicism, hopelessness, and despair in his letters. Instead, he is full of joy and hope and an expectation of a great future. When the information comes in, he gives thanks. I think this little cue could change your disposition in the world. This is a 
action that you could take that could truly affect how you view the world and your place in it. Let information prompt giving of thanks. Let it prompt you to thanksgiving. You say, well, what if it's bad information? The Apostle Paul got a lot of bad information in his life. And he said to all of us, in everything, what? Give thanks. Why? For this is the will of God concerning you in Christ Jesus. You looking for God's will? You want to know what God's will is? Let information prompt you to give thanks. When you get information, you give thanks. You thank God that there are responders there to help. You thank God that he is present in that tragedy, whatever it is. When you get the news about that sick person that, uh, that is connected to you in friendship or family, you give thanks that the Holy Spirit is present to help them and that they have friends around them. You give thanks in everything. You think of a way to give thanks when you get information. And you let information not prompt you to, toward despair or hopelessness, but you let it prompt you toward the giving of thanks. Now, why would that change how you handle the world? Because you give thanks to God. And all information, then, is a connection to the God with whom you are having this perpetual dialogue of praise and thanksgiving. It's your walk. You can change your walk. You can change your disposition. You can change your outlook and your perspective. Give thanks. Let information, when it comes to you, prompt you to give thanks. Now, you get a lot of information, so there are going to be a lot of opportunities for you to give thanks as information comes your way. God's going to use the information to draw you close to him, to remind you that he is present, and to remind you that he's in charge, that he hasn't lost control of his world, and that he's a good God. Let information prompt you to give thanks. Can you do it? Can you walk with God in such a way that in the dialogue with Him, you give thanks when you learn things? I tell you, I had a divine intervention in my life this week. I see Teresa and Herbie over here. I don't know if Matthew's here. There he is. Okay. Matthew, can I tell the whole world here? <laughs> okay. Teresa calls me on Friday morning and... Uh, says, hey, we're going to be grandparents. This is great news. Congratulations, Caitlin and Matthew. This is great, all right? And I thought, oh, this is wonderful. So we had prayer together. I just prayed for Caitlin, and I thank God for this new life that's coming and for the family. And I left there, and I went to take care of Terry Werlein's uh, service that he has at St. Luke's Rehab Center. All right? I had just decided that morning I was going to do it because Terry was sick. Is Terry here? There he is. Okay, Terry. I'm telling the truth, aren't I? All right. So Terry was sick. So I went over to St. Luke's. Now, there are 11 hospitals in this city, and there are many, many rehab centers all over this city. And I had no idea about anything about St. Luke's. So I went into St. Luke's, and I had my service. <laughs> 
And when I get through, guess who walks out of the room right next to the worship center? On the sixth floor of St. Luke's. Caitlin Bovier. And she, she was in the room. This is where she works. And I gave her a hug and I told her congratulations. And I've been thinking about it, Caitlin, ever since it happened. And I know somehow God was in that. That can't be coincidence. Somehow God was directing my steps that morning in a way that I cannot fully comprehend. But in a city of a million people, there was Caitlin right there listening to the sound of my voice. You don't know it. You forget it a lot. But God is at work in your life. He's at work in your conversations. He's at work in your comings and your goings. He's at work through your friendships, through casual acquaintances and moments where you meet people. God is mightily at work. And if you will embrace this truth and, and you will say, okay, God, I believe that you are at work, that all these situations and circumstances that happened to me, you are at work you will discover a new peace and joy and presence of God and he will attend your way in a way that will change how you act, how you behave, and how you relate to others. God is at work in your world. He's not a dead God but a living God. He's not distant but he is present. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Amen? And, and so he is present to do his work. And thanksgiving is the way we open the window to heaven. Knowing that a gracious and good God is, is with us in our trouble and with our friends and all over the world with people in their need. And so we let information prompt thanksgiving. Now, second thing, let confinement prompt intercession in your life. I know there are people listening right now on the internet. Hello, we love you, and we value you, and we thank God that you've tuned into the broadcast today. And I know that some of you, I know Joe and Flo are part of this group week after week, but some of you, maybe many, many of you, are confined. You can't get out of the house, you're sick or weak. And when I read this passage, I thought about you and thought how God could work in your life through this passage, what the Apostle Paul prays right here. Because what happens is the Apostle begins to ask, and he says, I keep asking on your behalf that God will work in your life so that you will know him better. And it's not just folks who are confined and cannot come to church, but many people feel restricted and trapped and confined by their circumstances, and that could be you. 
You could be thinking about your life and saying, I just didn't expect it to turn out this way. I don't know why God let these things happen. I don't know how often I hear people say, why did God let that relationship happen in me? I prayed about my relationship, and and I wanted to do what was right, and now look at what's happened. I don't understand this, and they feel trapped. They feel like they have chains on in their life, and and they feel confined and, and prevented from doing the things they hope to do and dream to do with their life. And sometimes the confinement ends up causing bitterness and resentment and envy of others who are not similarly confined. And we suppose that we have been punished by God somehow because we have these restrictions, these limits on either our physical activity or our ability to serve Him. We let confinement and restrictions create a root of bitterness in our heart. I know people who are in New Orleans who want to be somewhere else. And they resent it. And that's true for people who live in all places in the earth They feel trapped by their circumstances. Okay, you let your confinement either produce a root of bitterness or this. You let your confinement prompt intercession. The Apostle Paul was a man of great prayer. But I wonder if he didn't learn that because he was locked up so much. You think he'd written this letter to Ephesus if he'd been out running around Asia Minor planting churches? I don't know. But we have these letters because he got locked up. And it actually changed the world that he got locked up and spent the time writing letters. And think about now, this man of action locked up under house arrest in Rome with a guard beside him. He cannot leave. He wants so badly to be out there working with the churches, taking the word to them, planting new churches. That's what he wants to do. It's his heart's desire and passion. What is he going to do in his confinement? Well, he turns to prayer. And he prays. See, intercession is the companion of thanksgiving. When you skip over thanksgiving to intercession, without first giving thanks, and you go right to the knee and say, oh God, do this, you are forgetting that you serve a good God who has the highest and best desires for you and your friends and your family whose love is amazing for every one of them. Giving thanks is acknowledging that God is fundamentally good. And then I move to intercede on behalf of the one who is in need. And my intercession then is based upon the thanksgiving and the goodness of God. Some of you are wondering... What am I going to do with myself? I can't do what I used to do. And it's typical. As we age, we lose some of the capacities, some of the mobility that we had. I think, what are we going to do? 
Would you let whatever restriction it is, whatever confinement you experience, would you let it prompt you to pray? Would you begin to think about the limits of your life as reminders to pray? Because, brothers and sisters, you may feel limited by your physical abilities or your situation, your relationships, or your vocation. But your limitations are no limitations for God. And they are no limitations for prayer. And the Apostle Paul discovers the power of prayer in the era of his confinement. See, God wants to have a running dialogue with you. Not only does he say, and everything gives thanks, but he also says, pray without ceasing, right? Without ceasing, without stopping. Pray without stopping. How do you do that? Well, you're going to have to have some prompts in your life. Can you allow the limitations that you experience? Lord, here I am in this classroom. I really want to be done with school. And all of a sudden, just allow that limitation, that restraint to prompt you to intercede for those who need you. Intercession is a great work of God that he intends to do through you. When you intercede, you are praying for somebody else and God's blessing upon them. Jesus did it all the time. He wants us to do it. His church is to intercede as well. So we go to God on behalf of those in need. We become people of prayer, people who walk, whose walk is with God, who are in dialogue with God as we let these life circumstances, information, and confinement prompt us to give thanks and intercede. Would you describe your prayer life as healthy? Do you see yourself as in dialogue with God through the day? It can be. And the presence of God can be mightily evident in your life as you learn and practice intercession and thanksgiving. You may be thinking, well, I don't know what to say when I intercede. Well, <laughs> I love this prayer. And I think about this prayer and I think, I don't know if I'd ever said that. I probably wouldn't have said that. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know God better. You can pray that for me, all right? If you want to pray for your pastor, but you're not sure how to pray, just pray, Lord, I pray that the eyes of his heart will be enlightened so he can know you better. You might want to pray that for that person who's sick in your life, because if they could see with the eyes of their heart from the perspective of God, if the light of God could shine on their perspective in their illness and their sickness, they would know God better and they would see their circumstances in the light of his sovereign and providential care. Everybody who is sick needs to have the eyes of their heart enlightened so they can know God better. I don't know how many times I've come 
into contact with sick people or bereaved. And they say to me, I just don't know what God is doing. I don't understand this. I can't understand why this problem has come our way, what God has allowed this in my life. And the truth is, they need to know God better. We have this sense sometimes that we are morally superior to God. That if we were in charge of the universe, we would do things right. And people wouldn't hurt and suffer and have trouble like they do. And it's an insult to the creator God who made us and loved us and sent his son to save us. Who himself is faithfulness and the Bible says he is the embodiment of love. To suppose in our prayer life or in our spiritual ruminations that we are somehow superior to him in what we desire for our friends or family. It's just not true. We need to know God better. If we knew God better, we would be comforted in our sickness. Our friends would be comforted in theirs. We would have a better and more divine understanding of the current situation. We, We would know ourselves better. And see ourselves in a different light. This is a wonderful prayer to pray. Let intercession be a prompt to see heaven. Let it be an opening toward heaven. Paul desires that they have this fullness of God turn loose in their life that the power of Christ would be evident in them. And we can pray all these things for our friends. Intercession is you praying that God would move your friends and family who are in trouble forward and upward in their understanding of who He is and who they are in the world. I read through this and I thought, Crosby, you have some repenting to do. You need to do some repenting. You've been complaining too much when you should have been giving thanks. You've been worried about yourself and the limitations on you when you should have been interceding for others. You've been worried and sometimes allowed the resentment in here when you should have just Learn to know God better and His grand intentions for you, His plans for you that are beyond your imagination. No eyes have seen, no ear has heard, neither has entered into the heart of me or you the things that God has planned for us. They are amazing. So, Crosby. Repent of all those attitudes that drag you back and drag you down. Receive God's forgiveness and renew the thanksgiving in your life. I think God wants to do that in me. And maybe he wants to do it in you too. Bow with me please. If you discover that there's a root of bitterness that's taken hold in you that a resentment has grown or an envy of someone would you just repent
Say, Lord, forgive me. And restore to me your perspective and the joy that belongs to my salvation. Heavenly Father, thank you for your amazing love. Thank you for your care for us, for your providential care of us. That you attend to our needs like a nurse by our bed when we're sick. That you watch over us in our sorrow and difficulty. That you are the God of all comfort to us. Remind us, Lord, who you are to us. And God, we pray that there'll be an outpouring of thanksgiving from this, your church. As we live in our world this week, an outpouring of intercession for those in need as we are prompted by our own limitations and restrictions and troubles just to turn our hearts toward prayer. God, I pray that you will help us light up in the eyes of our heart so that we can know you better. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.